Chapter 17 The Courage to Believe Men lust, but they know not what for. They wander and lose track of the goal. They fight and compete, but they forget the prize. They spread seed, but spurn the seasons of growth. They chase power and glory, but miss the meaning of life. George Gilder, Men and Marriage When I was 20, I made a wonderful discovery. Before I could step up to true manhood, I had to decide what I truly believed. I was a junior in college when I finally answered the spiritual wake-up call that had been gnawing at me. My first two years in college were a contrast of human failure and success. I nearly flunked out during my freshman year and nearly made straight A's my sophomore year. I didn't make the traveling squad on the basketball team my freshman year, and as a sophomore, I started the last game that if we'd won, it would have put us in the hunt for the national championship game for junior colleges. I was turned down for a date as a freshman, and I had plenty as a sophomore. As a freshman, I was pretty much of a loser, but during my second year, I served as president of the student body and had achieved everything I'd dreamed of to that point. But my life was empty, purposeless. I was depressed and had even thought about suicide. But in the end, I simply loved myself too much to do that. I sensed that I needed to step up to something. But what? Spiritually speaking, I had treated Jesus Christ like a spare tire, pulling him out of the trunk in an emergency and then putting him back in the trunk after the crisis was over. Despite my arrogance and emptiness, during the summer of 1968, between my sophomore and junior years, the hound of heaven chased me down with his love, and I surrendered to him as completely as I knew how. God used a man, Alan, to call me out of my self-centered existence into a relationship with Jesus Christ that enabled me to experience the rich design that God had created for me as a man. Alan opened the Bible and taught me out of the book of Romans. He showed me from the scripture that God's love for me remained the same whether I loved him or not. The love of God, demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ, slowly turned my heart toward him. I realized that Jesus Christ didn't come to be a spare tire. He didn't come to be a hitchhiker or even a passenger in the front seat. He came to be the driver and master of my life. That summer, I did a scary thing, a courageous thing. I peeled my fingers off the steering wheel and relinquished total control of my life to Him as Savior, Lord, and Redeemer of my life. The decision to trust Christ completely redirected my life and secured my eternal destiny. My junior year in college became an adventure. No longer was life lived on just a physical plane. God was at work in me, changing me, and giving me a noble mission of representing Him. Then I met another man who also called me to step up. His name was Tom Skinner. 
Tom was the chaplain of the Washington Redskins and came to campus to give a series of messages. I had the privilege of driving Tom to his speaking engagements, and in the process, we became friends. Although I've forgotten most of what we talked about, I do recall Tom beginning and ending each of his five messages with the same quote. I've shared this with a lot of people. Listen carefully. I spent a long time trying to come to grips with my doubts, when suddenly I realized I'd better come to grips with what I believe. I have since moved from the agony of questions that I cannot answer to the reality of answers that I cannot escape. And it's a great relief. This quote made a profound impact on my life, and I've since shared it with millions of men around the world. You see, I've struggled with doubt. I come from Missouri, the show-me state. And if I were in a tribe, I would be in the tribe of the Doubting Thomases. I have questions about life, the scriptures, and God that I still can't answer. But as a man, I realized I had to determine what I do know and what I do believe. Ordering my life around what I believe is ultimately what propelled me to step up and become a man. What about you? Are you living your life based upon what you know to be true? Or are you waffling because you haven't come to grips with your doubts and determined what you believe? Are you majoring in the minors, things that in the end don't matter, or are you majoring in the majors? Your first step may be like the one I made before my junior year in college. Receiving Christ as my Savior and Lord demanded faith and courage like no other decision in my life and it remains the most important decision I have ever made. Perhaps the most courageous thing you have ever done is before you right now and how you respond to the claims of Jesus Christ. I was afraid of what it would mean to give God my life and let Him be in control. Is there something you're afraid of? What's keeping you from the absolute surrender of your life to Jesus Christ? For me, I had a greater fear that I would miss God and ultimately the life that He had designed for me. If you haven't already surrendered your life to Christ, may I invite you to courageously kneel down and surrender to Him so that you can ultimately step up and be the man God created you to be? If you're wondering what this looks like, I've entitled a piece, Knowing God Personally. And if you'd like to access it, you can go to the very end of this book. Of course, once you've made the decision to yield your life to Christ, the rest of your life lies ahead. There are some additional decisions that will mark your passage as a man. The first is, will you let God define your identity as a man? When a man defines himself and attempts to determine his identity apart from God, he is left to compare himself with others, a low and dangerous standard. A real man finds his essence and identity in his Creator. 
No man will understand who he is and what his ultimate assignment on planet Earth is apart from knowing God. This is why A.W. Tozier said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In fact, I believe that one of the reasons why we're short of real men today is that we've lost the fear of God. The majority of Proverbs in the Old Testament were written by a father to his son to introduce him to God and to equip him for life. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 tells us clearly, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word wisdom is an important word for men. It means that we are to have skill in everyday living. We're to live life skillfully the way our Creator designed it to be lived. Fearing God is the starting point for being a real man. To fear God means that I hold Him in reverential awe. It means I see Him for who He is, the Sovereign King. When I revere God for who He is, I can rightly determine who I am as a man. As I study Scripture and understand who God is, I realize that I'm not at the center of the universe. God is. I realize I don't call the shots in life. God does. This means I humble myself in submission to Him. I make choices realizing that God is everywhere present, sees all and knows all. I live my life not to please myself, but to please Him. I understand that I will someday give an account of my life to God and that His presence in my life motivates me to turn away from temptation, evil, and sin. Another decision you must make moment by moment that will mark your life as a man is this. Will you center your life, your decisions, values, and priorities on your relationship with God and the truth of God's Word? I received a good lesson on this truth years ago when I went on a rock climbing trip with several colleagues. One supervisor thought this adventure would build leadership qualities and teamwork skills in all of us. I was hoping I could learn leadership some other way, because I hate heights. But no such luck. I wound up in the Sierra Nevada mountains among the rock-domed peaks, along with several sadists called trainers and 11 other guys foolish enough to be called trainees. <laughs> we spent the first day learning basic climbing techniques, and the next morning, I was told, we were going to rappel off the top of a cliff. I said, oh, really? Where is that? They said, pointing upward, right up there. We were standing on the floor of a valley, and I looked up 1,500 feet to a dome directly overhead. How are we getting up there, I wanted to know. Well, the climb went better than I expected, and I loved the view from the top. But then I realized that getting down would be a bit more troublesome. Repelling is not that complicated. You back off the edge of a cliff to the point where you can no longer stand on your feet. You then push off and let the rope hold you, hopefully. 
Several times I inspected the area where the rope was securely fastened to bolts sunk deep into the rock. There were four of those bolts, and I wanted to know, what are those bolts made of? How far did they go into the rock? How long had they been there? And above all, would they hold me? My trainers assured me that they had never lost anyone before. Besides, some guys a lot bigger and heavier than I had repelled off of this precipice with no problem. In fact, they said one guy had gone off in a wheelchair. All these words did little to slow down the vibration of my knocking knees, but finally I began backing off the cliff. When I came to the point where I was totally horizontal, I looked back over my shoulder. (laughs) Something you're not supposed to do. And everything came clearly into focus. At that point, the phrase, do or die, never seemed more relevant. I decided I had to go for it and pushed off. The rope held. Did I become an enthusiastic rock climber after this? No, I've never done it since. Don't think I'll ever do it, in fact. But I did learn a lot about faith that day. I learned that you have to believe that the rope will hold you. You have to lean against and trust yourself to the rope. And I learned that walking with God and making Christ your Lord is like rappelling down that cliff. You have to lean back and push off with the knowledge that God is your rope. He is worthy of your trust every moment of every day. These are the things I believe. You see, I spent a long time trying to come to grips with my doubts, when suddenly I realized I had better come to grips with what I believe. I have since moved from the agony of questions that I still cannot answer, to the reality of answers that I cannot escape, and it's a great relief. It really has been a relief since I placed my trust in Jesus Christ in the summer of 1968. And you know what? It can be for you, too. Next up, hear about Step 4, Mentor.